ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back once again to episode 15 of the Best Seat in the House podcast. I'm your host, Rob Kramer, alongside, as always, my co-host, Daniel Bobo Curlin. Uh, we got a lot to get in today, but Dan, how are you feeling? Uh, well, I'm feeling okay. Feel, feeling okay. It's I finally I somewhat got over what happened the last uh, a couple of days ago, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, we definitely have to get into all the uh, the New York Rangers talk, as unfortunately, uh, this is the first show uh, in the Best Seat in the House podcast 15-week history that the uh, New York Rangers are not actively playing. Their season is officially over. They're in the offseason. They were eliminated in Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Final um, just this past week. And, uh, you know, the... Uh, when, when it comes down to it, uh, it was a, it was a rough series, but, um, yeah, 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 yeah grandma, grandma, I'm on filming. Now. But we, we had a great series with the, uh, with the Rangers and everything, uh, coming out of there. Very, very tough loss, Dan, uh, after that series conclusion, how are you feeling with the Rangers right now? Oh, I was feeling upset after that one. I, I'm surprised I didn't throw, I didn't try a beer bottle to break. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I think a lot of Rangers fans are throwing beer bottles uh, after these uh, four straight games uh, from, you know, pretty much game three to the rest of the series uh, as, as the Rangers drop the series in six. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Like I said, um, you know, I'm Rob Kramer alongside Daniel Bobo Curlin. And Dan, looks like you got yourself in a, uh, in a new location today. Uh, you're on site in your backyard, correct? Yep, I'm in my backyard right today. Today during a... There we go, just enjoying the nice weather. You can't beat that in a beautiful June day in Queens, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, and uh, in a couple of hours, our first place New York Metropolitans will be going uh, at, you know, right now we're recording this on uh, Wednesday night as the Mets take on reigning NL Cy Young Award winner Corbin Burns and the uh, Milwaukee Brewers. So they beat 4 nothing last night. Um, so we, we got that to touch on. Also, the, uh, uh, you know, we'll do it quick at the end, too, since, uh, you know, me and you've been wrapped up in the hockey. But the... Um, Golden State Warriors are also one win away from capturing their uh, first NBA championship in a couple of years. They're going to knock off uh, that. Well, they have an opportunity to knock off the Boston Celtics. So um, we have a very interesting series going on over there. Uh, much like the Rangers series too. Boston started off strong, but then that championship will of uh, the uh, Golden State Warriors look like it's just taken over and uh, they're going to capture uh, most likely the, uh, another NBA championship. Uh, have, have you been paying any attention to that series, Dan? I could only imagine what my dad would be like if he were alive today. All right. My dad was a Celtics fan. Was he really? 
he a lot of those championship wins he got in the 70s and the early 80s. Yeah, yeah, and the Red Hour back and uh, all those great, um, you know, 70s, uh, the, you know, like you said, the 70s and 80s Celtics teams. I mean, team with, uh, you know, Larry Bird and all those great players uh, from that era. Uh, de- definitely hard to root against. I mean, you know, unless you're a Knicks fan or, or a Lakers fan, I guess, <laughs> from back then. So a uh, very cool little tidbit information there. Um, you know, Dan, so uh, well, I stall uh, to, to get into the Rangers series because as just doing the, uh, you know, sinking our teeth into that series in retrospect is just going to be really, really hard. So before we get into that, let's give ourselves a little plug right now. Let's give ourselves a little social media plug. Dan, uh, where can anybody listening check you out on social media? Sure, you can find you can find me on social media by Twitter account Bobo one zero three NYC on Twitter, Bobo seven one eight DK on Instagram, and Daniel Curlin on YouTube. All right, and uh, definitely give uh, Dan a, uh, a like and subscribe to his YouTube channel. There, you could check uh, our show out, the Best Seat in the House podcast, on Twitter at BSith underscore podcast you can also check us out on instagram at best seat in the house podcast and you can check my personal twitter account at at kramer ny so uh thanks for following thanks for tuning in thanks for subscribing and thanks for all the support because we you know just like we've been saying the last few weeks we've really been appreciating all the support dan your mom has been great too your uh mom aurora on on twitter helping us out i know we've got disabled officer on Twitter, helping us out. So many people have uh, pitched in and uh, done a lot of nice things for us over the last few weeks. So we definitely got to tip our cat to them, right, Dan? Yep, we definitely. Thank, thank you guys all for all the wonderful support. Thank, and thanks for helping this show grow, grow to where we are now and maybe even further. Exactly. And also, before we move on to into covering our actual sports, we want to wish, even though it's, it's, it's yesterday and it's going to be two days past, we want to wish Big happy. A, right, Dan? A happy birthday. Yep, happy birthday, Big A. Yeah, Big A is a great guy. He's a uh, photographer. Please check out anything that Big A has to do. Check him out on on Twitter at Big A six one four, and uh, you can check out all of his all of his photography work there too. And what were you gonna say, Dan? If you're probably Brooklyn Cyclone gamer two during a year, you'll probably see him uh, his photography in action. Definitely, definitely. Big A does all photography work for uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones. And and also he does a lot of the photography work for the IWF, too, with uh, our good friend Kevin Knight and uh, all the great guys over there in uh, New Jersey at the IWF. So on their twi- if you go on their Twitter page, good chance that some of those photos you're seeing, a lot of those, fo- almost all those photos you're seeing on their, twi- on their IWF Twitter page, Big A himself took. Very true. Very true. And he's a very talented photographer, too. You have to give that to Big A. He gets a lot of great shots. Um, you know, so definitely, like we said, happy birthday, Big A. We hope you had a good one. And, um, you know, definitely would love to have Big A in the podcast sometimes. So we should we should hook that up, too. <laughs> Big A, you're more than welcome to come to, to make an appearance on here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we move on now, uh, uh 
also too, before we get in the Rangers, we got to touch on the Yankees a little bit later too, because the Yankees role continues to go on. Uh, they, they bid for a perfect game twice in a week. Uh, they had Garrett Cole through a great game against Tampa Bay. They, they're going for the sweep. Now the Yankees currently are 45 and 16, just playing incredible baseball. So, uh, the Mets and the Yankees also, by the way, right now, uh, I, I just want to give this little, st- this little statistic, the best start the Yankees ever had through this many games, 61 for the Yankees and 62 for the Mets is uh, 47 and 14, which they did in uh, 1998. They're two games behind that right now. So to be anywhere close to that pace is pretty freaking incredible. If you remember that 1998 Yankees team went on to win 114 games and the World Series. So uh, to be even in the same sentence as that team is pretty damn good. And for the Mets on, on our side, as the Mets sit here, as we're recording this today, the Mets are the only team in the National League with 40 wins. So first team to get there in the NL, um, still the, the only team with 40 wins. And uh, the, the Yankees are the other team with 40 wins in the American League now. Uh, but the, the Mets now 62 games start uh, for the uh, – well, actually, I'm sorry, it's a 63-game start as the, the Mets right now currently sit – at 41 and 22, only three games off the pace. Well, or whatever it is, I guess, uh, I, I guess four games off the pace of the 1986 Mets who started off 45 and 18. So a couple of, uh, little, you know, pretty good, uh, things to sink your teeth into. If you're a Mets or a Yankees fan right now, as these teams are playing at a clip right now that we haven't seen in a long time, right, Dan? I feel like we're we're living through that that era almost similar to like the fifties when it seemed the road to the championship went through New York. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, and really, when you think about it, in the fifties, it was even it was just crazy as the Yankees and the Dodgers played in the World Series. What in forty nine? Then the Yankees were in the in the World Series in fifty against the, the Reds. You no, had, no, you had the. Uh, Yankees and the Giants in 51. No, no, no. <laughs> as uh, you know, we're having a, a, a little uh, technical difficulty as uh, Dan's having a, <laughs> a couple of uh, friends slash family members jump in there. <laughs> but uh, all good, all good. You know, and, and just like you said, the, you know, the 50s was crazy where really the only year that they didn't have a, uh, a New York team in that was 1959 where it was uh, the now Los Angeles Dodgers and the Chicago White Sox. So very, very interesting decade of, of baseball. And just like you said, going through New York, it could very well be going through New York this year, but unfortunately for us, one thing that won't be going through New York this year is the Stanley cup final. Now we finally get to that, right, Dan? Hey, so just a couple of days removed from this right now. The Rangers were eliminated last Saturday night, uh, game six in Tampa Bay. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm still trying to come to terms with it. It's uh, such a, a, a bad feeling to lose that series. Although, you know, the Rangers have a bright future ahead of them. Uh, taking all that into consideration, Dan, what are your, your immediate thoughts, your immediate feelings 
following the Rangers' unfortunate 2-1 loss. Oh, that was, I cannot tell you how horrible it felt. Like, I, I was like, I just had the shock look on my face the next day. I was like, <laughs> I was probably, I think, I think I shaved off my beard as soon as they lost. Yeah, I don't blame you because that, that beard sticking around, uh, you know, the, the playoff beard would have been a uh, unfortunate reminder of everything that we had just lost. But, uh, y- you know, there's a couple of things that I have to get into, though. Um, you know, I think in this Rangers playoff run, obviously, first of all, we have to be thrilled with how far this team went, right? I mean, if, if I would have told you when the playoffs started on whatever, May 1st, that the Rangers are going to be playing until mid-June and, you know, we'd get to game six of the Eastern Conference final, I think we both would have signed for it, right? <laughs> and that, that, this was just great. This is the first time in a long time I really felt that we were really – that it was an exciting season for the first time in a couple of years. True, true. Because, I mean, what, the, the last time that the Rangers were, were even past the first round of the playoffs was 2017 when they lost in the second round to Ottawa. And then um, – Previous to that, the last time they were in the Eastern Conference Final was 2015, where they lost to Tampa Bay. And unfortunately, you know, they, they won that uh, game six in 2015 to force game seven. They, they, they won game six, seven to three, and then end up losing two nothing at the Garden. Their second straight two nothing loss at Madison Square Garden in that series. And that series will always be a big, you know, pain for me. Because the Rangers were better than Tampa Bay that year. They were just beat up and um, just ran out of gas. And unfortunately, that's kind of what happened to the Rangers this year. But I, I do want to get your thoughts on this, though. This one thing where it's it just doesn't sit well with me. Where, okay, game six, Steven Stamkos, one of the greatest goal scorers of the last, you know, 20 or 30 years or whatever. Definitely one of the you know, he's a great player. No doubt about it. Future hall of famer. He's got two cups. Now he's going for his third cup. He's been to four Stanley cup final. Um, you know, you, you have to appreciate the great player. Steven Stamkos is, and he scored that first goal to put them up one, nothing. Then Frank Vetrano scores that second goal, uh, you know, for the, the first for the Rangers to tie it one, one power play goal. What an awesome goal by Vetrano. And then 21 seconds later, Stamkos comes rushing into the net and scores a goal. I have a problem. I have a major problem with that goal. That goal had goaltender interference written all over it. It bounced out of Stamkos's catching glove off of, uh, uh, I'm sorry, it bounced off of Shesterkin's catching glove out onto uh, onto Stamkos's leg and then passed him as he was crashing the net into the goaltender. I mean, it, it, it seemed to me that Shesterkin really didn't have an opportunity to make a save on that play as he immediately skated out and was calling for goaltender interference. Um, what was your thought on that, Dan? Did you think that was goaltender interference or did you think it was a good goal? That one, uh, my mom was just not that long ago talking to my uncle saying that, yeah, I could hear Daniel chaining these refs suck. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing too, you know, 
that play was reviewed. And the, the thing that really pisses me off is that, you know, if that, if, if that exact situation happened in the first round and the, when it was Rangers in Pittsburgh and they reviewed that, there's, if that was a Rangers player going against one of the, you know, whatever, one of the, uh, the, the Penguins goalies we faced, uh, you know, in that series, whether it was Jari or, or you know, uh, or a, any of them for the most part, that goal is not counting, right? Exactly. And so, look, I, I have to say, too, it, in the first round, I had a problem with the referees. I think the officiating was terrible in the first round. The second round, look, it, it was a very, very tight series. I think the officials were fine in that second round. I had no issues with anything from that second round. But back in the third round again, it just seemed like the officiating was just garbage. And, uh, you know, not every call went against the Rangers, but a lot of them did. And uh, I'm, I'm also not going to sit here and make excuses because I think the Rangers were banged up. You know, Ryan Strom had this pelvis injury, which, man, I'm telling you right now, you're trying to play hockey with a pelvis injury? Mm, that that's a that's quite the task, right, Dan? Yeah, it is, and uh, props to him for trying to do so. Yeah, definitely props to him. He's a tough son of a bitch. Uh, so many guys that we really have to give props to in in this run right now. Let's take the time as first of all, Barclay Goodrow fractures his ankle in that first game, and then comes back plays the end of that series against uh, the, um, you know, the Penguins, uh, shows up for the whole series against Carolina, plays the whole series against um, Tampa Bay. Uh, just a, a tough son of a bitch. Um, you know, another guy, Ryan Lindgren. Boy, Ryan Lindgren just seemed like he was playing on one leg the whole playoffs, right? Yeah, exactly. That whole playoffs, he just... You got you got to give a lot of props to him. He he may have played a big factor in us getting this far. I I agree. I think he definitely did. Um, you, you know, there were so many guys that stood out. Tyler Mott. I was a, such a big fan of Tyler Mott. Uh, I really hope that um, you know, and obviously we're gonna have a lot of time to talk about um the off season and what's ahead for the Rangers and who they bring back and all this stuff. Um, but really have to tip your cap to, uh, to get to the guys that we just mentioned. I would love to see them bring back Tyler Mott. I think he was an incredible addition to this team. Um, you know, as, as we keep looking at this roster though, you would have liked to see more from Artemi Panarin, but I also don't think that Panarin was as bad as everybody was saying. Would you like to see more goals? Yes. Would you like to see a couple more assists? Yes. Would you like to see him a little bit better at five on five than just in the power play? Yes. But he was still a good, effective player. Right, Dan? What are your thoughts on a Temi Panarin's playoff run? But effective player, and I feel a lot of our big moments, we wouldn't have gotten without him. No doubt about it. And just like you're saying, I mean, first and foremost, game seven against Pittsburgh, right? He scores that big goal. Where would the Rangers be without him? They might not have even won that game. Yeah, exactly. Got got to give a lot of props to the bread man for that. No doubt about it, man. No doubt about it. And, um, you know, me and you uh, mentioned this last week, too, that uh, the turning point in the series, unfortunately, was that game three. Even last week, it it just had that feeling where you just knew 
you blow a game like that where you're up 2-0 in the series and 2-0 in the game in Tampa Bay, and you end up losing that game in the final 40 seconds, that is not only is it devastating for the Rangers and the fans and everything like that, it's it's just a it's a big kick in the ass and a big um, you know, just a a galvanizing moment for that Tampa Bay team where you know they were a period or so away, maybe a period and a half away from being down 3-0 in that series and pretty much dead. I mean, if they go down 3-0 to the Rangers, even if they win that game four, you know, once they get back to the garden and the Rangers have a chance to, to clinch, uh, I have a feeling that game five might have went a little bit differently, right, Dan? Yeah, I have a feeling that whole game would have went different. I yeah. might might have still been seeing a beard on my face. Exactly. As, uh, you know, if uh, if the Rangers did pull off the win in that series and clinch the Eastern Conference, then the Stanley Cup final, well, actually, then game seven would have happened last night. Uh, you know, actually, unless the Rangers wrapped it up earlier. And then the, the Stanley Cup final, uh, which is beginning tonight, just about two hours away from us speaking right now, it'll be last night when you're watching this on Thursday. But, um, you know, the Stanley Cup final would have been starting this Saturday had uh, it would have been Saturday night um, in Colorado if the Rangers had pulled off the uh, the comeback once they went down 3-2 and had to win that game seven at Madison Square Garden. Uh, would have been really cool. Would have been awesome to see another Stanley Cup final at Madison Square Garden, but it just wasn't in the cards this year, unfortunately. Um you know, one other thing, too, uh, Dan, so Capo Caco, you know, all we heard uh, this this playoff run was people like us who are Ranger fans that have watched every game this year and not to mention national media people um, rave about the Rangers kid line with all the the young guys uh, centered by Capo Caco having Lafreniere on the left. Uh, I'm sorry. And you're centered by Philip Heedle. You have Capo Caco on the right and, and, um, and Alexi Lafreniere on the left. So that line was talked about so much this postseason that to me, as soon as I heard that they were scratching Caco for game six and putting in Dryden Hunt, I really just felt like that was it. It was a panic move which Gallant did not do the first two rounds. You did not see any of those panic scratches from Gerard Gallant against Pittsburgh or Carolina. He did it in, uh, in, in this game, and unfortunately dressed Ryan Strom, who they ended up losing halfway through the game anyway. But, uh, you know, no Ryan Reeves and no Capo Caco. What are your thoughts on that, Dan? And I had a shocked reaction. I had almost like... Have you ever watched these videos from the this guy on YouTube called the Angry Video Game Nerd? Oh yeah, I've seen them. Have you ever seen him when he does those reactions when it when it's something that like annoys him in a video game that was that maybe seemed like it was horribly done when he does like that? What were they thinking? <laughs> yes. That's the expression I made when I saw the news of that on Twitter. Yeah, I mean that's uh that's a very that's a very good description of it, man. I'm sure a lot of Ranger fans had that reaction and I was just uh shocked. I mean, 
you know, I, I just couldn't believe that. And, you know, look, they, they directly asked Gallant about it, and he just said he was just trying to win a hockey game. He still thinks Capococco is going to be a great player and play a big role in this organization. And he even alluded to the fact that, uh, that Lafreniere and Kako, you know, could potentially be in the top six next year, which, you know, it'd be nice to see depending on who's in, who's out because uh, Ryan Strom's probably gone. Although Ryan Strom uh, did talk at length in uh, the post game and postseason interviews about his want to stay in New York and Artemi Panarin talked about that too. So, you know, if we're going to be looking at some off-season decisions now, Dan, if you had to make the decision right now, if, if you're Chris Drury and you have to choose between a couple, a couple, I don't know why I'm, I'm rustling all these names up today. <laughs> if you had to choose between Andrew Kopp, uh, who had a great playoff run, and Ryan Strom, and, you know, maybe you're going to get cop for four and a half, five million. You're probably going to have to pay Strom closer to five and a half, six million. Uh, if you're sitting in the GM chair, Dan, who are you taking? I'd probably have to take cop in this one. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And not, and not only because of uh, his great playoff run. Um, I, I just think that, um, you know, and I'm sorry, Artemi Panarin. I know that he loves cop and I would love to find a way to keep cop if it's possible uh, cop. I, I would love to find a way to keep Strom. You know, Ryan Strom is a, has been a great guy ever since the Rangers got him. Um, they, they got him for uh, Tim Spooner, who was, you know, a throw in in the Rick Nash trade where the, you know, they, they got Lindgren in that. Um you know, if you look at that Rick Nash trade too, that's such a crazy, crazy uh, uh, trade. What they end up getting back for uh, just giving a couple of games of Rick Nash to the Boston Bruins, as they got Rick Nash, Tim Spooner, who they turned into Ryan Strom, and the first round draft pick Niles Lundqvist. <laughs> so, that's I, feel, pretty- I feel this that trade may eventually have led to what hopefully will be the big one eventually. Yeah, winning the Stanley Cup, right? Yep, exactly. I hope one day that it gets to go so well that maybe uh, maybe some weird scenario happens where one of the players, uh, where we win the Cup and one of the players decides to just, the Cup ends up here in this backyard. You got that right, man. Would love to see that, that uh, Stanley Cup come through Queens. Would love to see it out here on Long Island. Uh, you know, but not for the Islanders, obviously. <laughs> and, you know, that's one other thing that I also want to touch on, speaking of the Islanders, too. I've been seeing so many of these Islander fans on uh, social media and Twitter specifically, um, you know, gloat about how the Islanders lasted last year one more game than the Rangers. Have you been seeing that, Dan? The first I haven't seen is the only – one one I saw this from was from uh, was from uh, my, one one of one of my relatives who's an Isles fan. Mm-hmm. Now now let me uh, you know just thinking about it too. It's like to to gloat that you lasted. Which by the way, the Islanders were a team that everybody said had to win the Stanley Cup last year. That like that was one of their big window years. As as obviously the 
the window slammed shut this year. Maybe they pry it back open next year, but it closed pretty quickly. You had two great years of their runs to the, to the, the Eastern Conference final with a game six and game seven loss to Tampa Bay, respectively. And you're going to sit here th- and gloat about the fact that the Rangers, a team that most people didn't even pick to make the playoffs, not only made the playoffs, but won 50 games in the regular season, finished second in their division, and got all the way to game six of the Eastern Conference final, where people were picking against them in pretty much every round. And they had two seven-game series. Like, to, to sit here and gloat that the Rangers – didn't I mean it, it just seems ridiculous to me, right, Dan? No, it does. It's ridiculous. All right, this team was a young team that was uh that was trying to that was on the rise and we outdid what we expected this year. No doubt about it. Look at all the guys that were in the playoffs for the first time in their career. The the real playoffs too, with people in the stands, not that crap in the bubble up in Toronto two years ago. Like we What's that, Dan? That reduced capacity stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, we're talking packed buildings, crazy playoff atmosphere. Think about the guys. You had Igor Shesterkin making his real playoff debut. Ryan Lindgren, Adam Fox, um, you know, uh, Brandon Schneider, um, Alexi Lafreniere, Philip Heedle, Capo Caco. Uh, all these guys, you know, have never played in the playoffs before. And, you know, you add on a couple of veterans like Goodrow, who's had a couple of runs in the playoffs. Frank Vitrano played a couple of games beforehand in the playoffs. Um, you know, Ryan Reeves had some playoff experience, uh, you know, especially under Gerard Gallant and with the, with the Blues before that. So, you know, it's like the, the Rangers were such a young team and the window for this team is just opening which a lot of people thought that window wasn't going to open until next year. <laughs> so to, to sit here and think that you're going to gloat and, uh, you know, spike the ball on Rangers and Rangers fans, because we got to game six, the Eastern conference final, you're out of your freaking mind. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're mine. Yeah. So just enjoy uh, the off season. If you're an Islanders fan, we'll finally get up to that too. Now as, uh, as, as our off season just began a few days ago. Um, and you know, the, uh, the off season is going to be a, uh, a very interesting, interesting, uh, process for a lot of these teams, because there's going to be a lot of teams, including our Rangers that are going to be under the cap crunch. We were already talking about choosing between Strom and cop, you know, the, the Rangers had the flexibility this year to bring in guys like Vetrano and Cop and, uh, you know, Justin Braun, who tip of the cap to Justin Braun, too. That guy had a phenomenal playoff run. Uh, there was no points where you were pulling your hair out saying, oh, man, I can't believe Justin Braun's out there. Right, Dan? Exactly. Yeah. So you have to you have to give that guy credit. He deserves it. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, the the Rangers. um you know, had a, a great season. It was a very, very painful ending to it as, uh, you know, once the Rangers woke up that sleeping giant, that was it. You know, Tampa Bay just steamrolled them. And, um, you know, there's, there's nothing you can do. I, uh, I let, you know, like I said, I 
had to get that off my chest about that second Stamkos goal in game six, um, which I think was garbage. But you know what, though? To be honest, the way the Rangers are playing, the tentative style, the, the how beat up that team was at this point, and exhausted, too, as the Rangers played um, you know, all these playoff games. They played 20 playoff games in 40 days. That's a game every other day. And, you know, yeah, you can do that for a while, but after 40 days, that catches up to you. And I think later in the series, that extra rest that Tampa Bay had that might have hurt them earlier in the series probably came back and helped them at the end. Right, Dan? That's probably what happened. Yeah. At two game sevens in both two rounds in a row. Yeah, and the, the Rangers, you know, unfortunately, that's what happens. They were a young team learning, and they just left themselves no room for error. And, you know, even in the playoffs, you need a little buffer zone, a, a couple of days to just get yourself back together because the that's why the Stanley Cup, in my opinion, and the opinion of many, is the hardest trophy to win in sports today. Right, Dan? Exactly. Because you have to go through four brutal rounds of the playoffs just to call yourself a champion. And, uh, you know, it might be the same in the NBA, but guys aren't checking you into the wall and knocking your teeth out and, (laughs) you know, uh, going through all that, those battles and all that stuff on ice skates, mind you. Um, Doing all that on skates. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you have to give credit to all these guys and, um, uh, I think I'm not going to be alone on this one when I say, let's go avalanche, right, Dan? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My friends in Colorado, I going into this Stanley Cup Finals, I pick you guys to win it, so don't disappoint me. Exactly. It's been 20 years since the uh, um, Colorado Avalanche won a Stanley Cup, so it'd be very nice to, to see them stop this potential three-peat of the Tampa Bay Lightning, which would really just be insufferable to watch at this point. Um, And uh, let's just hope that Colorado, you know, shows this great team that we've seen all regular season and now all playoffs as they uh, took out Edmonton in the, in the Western finals. And now they move on to uh, the Stanley cup to take on the two time defending Stanley cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. You got your Mets, paraphernalia on right Dan yep exactly there you go he's got his Mets hat he's got his Mets shirt I got my Mets stuff on here as we've clearly moved on out of hockey mode <laughs> this is my performed and his shirt worked well what's that to answer that again exorcism on this shirt worked well <laughs> oh that's the DeGrom shirt yeah yeah remember I said that the Grom shirt that I had that I feel like I've had to perform an exorcism on yes <laughs> Very cool, very cool. And hopefully that exorcism is working even better than we thought because it looks like um, at some point in the next week or two, we're going to be seeing uh, Jacob deGrom on uh, a mound. It's probably going to be a rehab mound first. But, uh, you know, as the Mets currently are trying to come back um, with a a more healthy roster because right now the team is still winning. I mean, we just had a uh, – a you know, mediocre road trip, but with the, under the circumstances, look, you you have to be thrilled with this five and five West coast road trip, right, Dan? 
I'm thrilled about it. Hopefully, we could get we could pull pull away further more further from Atlanta this week. Yeah. See, the only thing that stinks, just like you, you, you know, you mentioned. Look, the Mets split with the break uh, with the uh, Dodgers. Took two out of four. Uh, then they went and lost, unfortunately, two out of three to uh, San Diego. And then the last leg of this trip was in Anaheim or Los Angeles, whatever you want to call it. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, whatever they want to call it. Call them the Anaheim Angels because it's because it's quite because Anaheim's quite a distance from Los Angeles. Yeah, I got I got a relative in Southern California who knows exactly how long that trip is because my 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 brother, unfortunately, my brother's a Yankees fan. And he lives in San Diego, and the nearest American League team to where he lives is in Anaheim. So he knows that drive all too well. Oh, yeah. And, and believe me, having lived in Los Angeles before like I did, um, yeah, the Angels don't play in Los Angeles. Let's be honest here. <laughs> the fact that they got away with that name for as long as they have is ridiculous. They're the Anaheim Angels, and they should still be the Anaheim Angels. Actually, I wouldn't even mind if they still called themselves the California Angels because I always like that too. What do you think about that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind that. I'd let. I'd let that slide if they wanted to do. If they wanted to go in that direction. Agreed. Agreed. So, Angels organization, you have the, 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 the permission from the best seat in the house podcast with myself and my co-hosts that you can call yourselves the California Angels again if you want. So stop all this Los Angeles nonsense because nobody's buying it. Not even here on the East Coast. So. <laughs> So now that we got that out of the way, uh, you know, we, we finished up that leg of the tour on Sunday Night Baseball, too, taking a, uh, a game that was supposed to be started by Noah Syndergaard, who chickened out. And uh, now he started against the Dodgers last night, uh, an- another game where he'd take a loss. Um, but uh, what do you think about that, Dan? Before we get into some of the other Mets stuff, uh, Noah Syndergaard well, chickening out against the Mets. Well, saw on Twitter is that he didn't want to talk to any of the New York press. I may choose up the clucking chicken soundboard. <laughs> I, I have a recreation of the Opie and Anthony soundboard. I may have added some, some, some other sound, sound bites I liked on my uh, on the set recreation of the soundboard I have on my laptop. I was probably playing that sound when I was, see- when I was reading that on my Twitter feed. <laughs> And uh, rightfully so, because, boy, that's a bad look for Noah. I mean, I, I don't know. I always like, – like Noah Syndergaard, when he was a Met, just came off to me like a, uh, like a John Wayne-type character almost. Like going back to that, that first pitch in Game 3 of the 2015 World Series when he knocked El Cities Escobar on his ass um, after the Mets were down 0-2, you know – was at that game, by the way. Were you really? Very cool. That game three of the 2015 World Series. Well, that's, if, if you were going to go to any game that series, that was the right game to go to. <laughs> that's right. What this fitted hat that I'm wearing. Because I also remember me and you watching and, game four of that. At, as you can see. Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Game three. Yeah, yeah, very cool. I, 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 like I was saying, I, I, I also remember me and you watching Game Four of that series at Anthony's house for the Halloween party, and watching that ball go through Daniel Murphy's legs. Man, that was terrible. Oh, I was like, Anthony got to see what I'm like when I'm watching the Mets. Let's put it this way. Yeah, 
Yep. Very true. Very true. And uh, I, uh, that was terrible. That was terrible, but at least it was a fun night we had otherwise. Um, uh, but yeah, so with the, uh, you know, with, with the Mets right now, so that they're, they're getting a little healthy right now, as we have, um, you know, Scherzer coming back right now. He's on the mend. Uh, he was throwing a couple of bullpen sessions. It looks like Jacob deGrom has thrown some bullpen sessions in the last couple of weeks. Uh, uh, James McCann is actually starting a rehab assignment tomorrow uh, for double a Binghamton. So that'd be pretty cool. He, so he, he should be back within the next week or two. Um, you know, I, it, it's good to see these guys getting, getting closer. Even Trevor may was throwing at 75 feet the, uh, the other day. So he's starting to ramp it back up too. Uh, you can expect to see Tr- Trevor may at some point in the next month coming back. Um, it's going to be good to get all these guys back Dan. And, you know, most of the time when we're saying that the Mets are, you know, a, a couple of games under 500 and five or six or seven games out of first place. And we're hoping for a big second half surge that the, maybe the Mets can put themselves back in contention, but that's not the case this year, buddy. As right now we sit 19 games over 500 and with a five game lead in first place, that's a pretty good place to be, right? Yeah, it's a pretty good place to be. I, I I feel different about this Mets team. This is something I haven't felt like in quite a while. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, there's a reason for that because these guys are good, man. You know, I was just looking at, at a bunch of numbers uh, for, for this Mets team. And, you know, they lead the league. I, I forget the it, – it's right around 290 in batting with runners in scoring position. 290. I mean, if you remember last year, this team was under 200 for a lot of the year. To be 100 points better than that this year is just such a crazy turnaround, right, Dan? It's a crazy turnaround. We've got a complete 180, and I feel like this team is going to, unlike last year, we're going to seal the deep. Yeah, you're right. And, uh, you know, an, another cool number I just saw too, which uh, you know you have to know baseball to, to to get this, where it's like when you have two strikes in Major League Baseball, the odds are against you. The league average, if you have under two strikes, is well under two hundred. So you know you're below the Mendoza line if you're if you got a two strike count. The odds are against you. Um, right now, the Mets are hitting one ninety seven with runners uh, with uh with with two strikes. And while that may not sound good, that actually leads Major League Baseball. 197 batting average is number one in Major League Baseball. Last year, the Mets were 28th in the league with a 154 batting average with two strikes. So just like you said, a complete 180, a complete turnaround. And I think one of the guys that we have to give credit to, not only Buck Showalter, but brand new hitting coach, former A's third baseman, Eric Chavez, is a big reason for that. Right, Dan? I feel we got to give a lot of credit to him and Buck Walter. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of these guys are saying that last year they were all pressing and they were trying to do too much with the information the Mets were giving them. And it wasn't about the process so much as it was about the results. And what happens when you lose the process, the results won't be there. So what the Mets have really done this season is focus on the process, meaning 
focus on just having a good at bat, you know, and that's one thing you can, you can tell up and down the lineup. These guys have good at bats, you know, and one guy I really have to say that, that obviously, you know, will give all the props in the world to Jeff McNeil, who's back to being the Jeff McNeil that we all knew and loved for the previous couple of years before last, but Pete Alonso, man, um, outside of 2019, where he was just incredible from game one to game 162, um, in 2020 and 2021, there were a lot of times where I felt that if you had a tough at bat with Pete Alonso or you got him to two strikes, that he was pretty much dead to rights. You know, where not that you say that he couldn't do anything, but more than likely Pete Alonso wasn't going to um, come back once he had two strikes on him or anything. And man, this guy has had some of the best at-bats this year, uh, not only with two strikes, but just from beginning to end. And he is off to an incredible start. He's hitting right around 290. He leads the National League with 18 home runs, and he leads the National League with 59 RBIs. The only other Mets position player to ever drive in more runs than Pete Alonso has in these first 62 games is Mike Piazza, who drove in 62 runs, in his first 62 games in the year 2000. This year, Pete has driven in three less in the same amount of time, uh, you know, 59. And he's leading the league by a wide margin, too. Uh, you know, it's a, you know, Pete Alonso might have 60 RBIs before anybody else in the National League even has 50. So very, very just great things we're seeing from this guy obviously brandon nimmo's having a, a a very good year especially the guy just knows how to get on base you know um it looks like we're starting to see eduardo escobar wake up a little bit right dan yep, exactly i think so far it's looking good so far and i think it might be also because of the because of the because of morphine jabu the good stuff oh yeah Oops. man <laughs> did i run my offer jabu Exactly. And whatever you do, do not drink Joe Boo's rum. Do not. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> did to steal Joe Boo's rum. <laughs> exactly, man. And, you know, so then, you know what, actually, if, if we're going to look at the Mets offense right now, if you had to pick a guy on the team, aside from Pete Alonso, who's just been incredible, um, if you're going to pick a guy on this team, what offensive player on the Mets has impressed you the most so far this year? I have to say so far, Jeff McNeil, the guy's turned a 180. The guy's become too pulley, and he's finally been able to finally get back into where in his comfort zone that he knows he can get he can get singles and doubles. Exactly. And he's doing a great job of hitting against the shift this year. I think uh, I, the last I saw, maybe it was a game or two ago, but he was hitting 407 against the shift this year. One of the highest batting averages in the league against the shift. So um, gotta love Jeff McNeil as the, uh, the shift breaker right there. <laughs> and uh, you know, for, for me though, because honestly, I, I love Jeff McNeil. He's one of my favorite Mets. And um, it didn't surprise me that he turned it around this year. I, I, I thought he was definitely going to do it. But one thing I really do have an appreciation for so far this year is Starlin Marte. I mean, we saw over the weekend when the Mets didn't have him in the lineup, a, a significant difference 
the Mets lose a dimension of um, that effectiveness when he's not in there. And I love him in that number two spot. He has been such a joy to watch this year for me. How do you feel about Starlin Marte? Yeah, he, he's been amazing. It, it's reminding me of almost back when we, during Jose Reyes in his prime. It was like we were a different team when he wasn't in a lineup. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. He adds that speed. And another thing that Jose Reyes did, which is a, a, a very good comparison, is that he adds that defense too. Especially, I really thought that when the Mets signed him, they were just going to stick him in center field because he's a center fielder and he's always been a very good outfielder. But I really think this is why Buck Showalter is great. And you have to give credit to Billy Epler, too, for allowing Buck to, to maneuver his team like this. Because I'm sure right off the bat, too, when Starlin Marte signed here, he probably thought he was signing here to be the center fielder. But, boy, Buck put his, his uh, faith in Brandon Nimmo. And that has paid off, even with a great catch last year. Uh, I'm sorry, last night. Uh, where he made a diving catch where the, the catch probability of this was less than 20% when it was lined off the bat uh, last night and a great you know, sprawling out diving catch for Brandon Nimmo to, uh, you know, keep things rolling uh, for uh, for Chris Bassett, who also had a really great redemption game for himself last night. Um, and you just have to just be um, – you have to just look at how great a guy is that Buck can come in. This is his baseball acumen where he said to himself, you know what? Stalin Marte is a superior defender. So we don't need him in left field, obviously. So it's either center or right field, but you know what? Stalin Marte has the best arm of anybody in the Met outfield right now. So let's stick him in right field where you're going to need that arm. And it was so brilliant. You know, that's one of the things when the Mets had Yoenna Cespedes that always bothered me is that he by far had the best arm of anybody in that outfield, but he only felt comfortable playing either left or center field. He never felt comfortable playing right field dating back to his days in Oakland and uh, the, his short stay in Boston and Detroit before that. Um, but the, the Mets tried to get him to play right field and he just never wanted to. And that's knowing baseball. You know, you have a guy with the best arm and you have a guy who's going to be a team player like Starlin Marte and say, okay, maybe I thought I was going to um, play center field, but that's not in the cards right now. I'll go to right field and play it great and, and have that great arm. And it, it's really made a difference out there, hasn't it, Dan? Yeah, it really made a difference. I'm, I'm, I've been excited so far about how, how we've been playing so far and – it's been a lot of well, the usual noise and stuff. People here from uh, where I'm watching the game. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, man. Just, uh, you know. People know I'm watching the Met game <laughs> just by what they're hearing from me coming in the room. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, you really have to uh, give credit to everybody on this team. Everybody's contributed. Guys, you know, going all the way down to – you know, Adonis Medina, uh, Yon Lopez, uh, Patrick Mazika, Luis Giorme, um, all these guys have contributed at different points this year. Um, you know, even David Peterson, who a lot of people weren't sure if he was going to have, you know, a role on this team. 
Tyler McGill, who is back tomorrow night, his, uh, making his second start since his return from the IL. Um, I, I, it just seems like everything's falling into place for this Mets team right now. Right, Dan? Yeah, it just, just feels like everything's been falling into place. We've even had players surpassing what we expected. Yeah, now, now the one thing before we move on, too, that I, I did want to touch on is, uh, boy, uh, the one thing that will put a damper on, like we said, uh, encouraging 5-5 five and five West Coast road trip for the Mets, where you lose five games in the standings because Atlanta has won 13 in a row. The Mets went from being 10 up in the division to five up in the division that spanned a, a week and a half, two weeks, because Atlanta has won 13 games in a row. They are on a roll, which I, I think they're even on a better roll than they were last year when they overtook the Mets for the division late in the season. Because even though Atlanta did go on a roll and, you know, did win the World Series eventually and the, and the National League East, I, I don't feel like at any point they were clicking like this. Like, if, if they had clicked like this early, you know, in June last year, the Mets would have been at a first place by the 4th of July. It, it would not have lasted that long. And it might have even been before that. It might have been before the end of June. So um, to see this for the Braves is a little worrying because you always have to keep your eye on Atlanta. And even Philadelphia now, too, who is playing with a pulse, they hit a uh, I don't know if you saw this today, Dan, but they hit a, a walk-off three-run home run today down one nothing in the ninth inning. So um, since, you know, since they got rid of, of Girardi, they just continue to win and continue to play good baseball. So, so Philadelphia, I might not be as scared of Philadelphia as I am Atlanta, but right now both those teams are keeping their name in the mix, right? Yeah, they are, but... I just have a feeling this year this Mets team's up to the task of not faltering like we did last year. Oh, yeah, I agree. I, I don't think this team is going to falter. But unfortunately, I was hoping that this was going to be more like a, a 2006 season. And by the All-Star break, we're just cruising to the playoffs. You know, it doesn't look like it's going to be that this year because it looks like, you know, a Atlanta – and maybe even Philly to a certain extent, even though Philly's still like nine games out. Um, it, it looks like Atlanta is going to be in it to the end. And even if the Mets win the division, it would not surprise me to see Atlanta still make the playoffs as a wild card. Yeah, I, I have a feeling. I, I, I might not set in stone yet, but I might be attending that series in Atlanta in July. And oh, really? I feel like it could be a bloodbath. That is definitely going to be a bloodbath, man. And I'll be attending. And hopefully, if I do go, me and me and the well, potentially my mother and sister, will do a good job of trying to silence those loud Braves fans. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not four teams having to change their names, but yeah, you could change the name. You could change the name of the Braves. As a matter of fact, I would love them to change their colors just to see. Fans, so who painted their room the Braves colors have to repaint their room. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was that last part? And maybe have to redo their tattoos. <laughs> exactly, exactly, man. So you know, let's just uh, let's just hope that, especially by that time that you're potentially going down to Atlanta next month, right about a month from now, 
let's hope that Jacob DeGrom and Matt Scherzer are both pitching in that series, right? Yep, exactly. I have a feeling we're definitely going to not – we're definitely not going to falter those guys and come back to what we expect. Oh, yeah, man. And, and a guy that's going to help contribute to that too before we move on from the Mets, uh, really tip of the cap to, to Chris Bassett last night for figuring it out. He threw eight brilliant innings last night. He got three double plays in that game. Uh, was really on his game. Him and Tomas Nito, I don't think he shook him off once all night after the last couple of starts where it seemed he was shaking him off like three or four times an inning. Um, really, just you just got to hand it to, to Bassett, right? The guy played his – he pitched his ass off last night. Yep, that he did. The guy, the guy pitched his heart out. I mean, he, it just looked like what we expected. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you want to uh, – you know, say that it's true. He, he hasn't been um, as dynamic ever since, uh, you know, James McCann went down. It seemed like those two had a really good rapport between, between the two of them. Um, but uh, I, look, I, I just got to give all the credit in the world to, to Bassett. Um, especially this is a guy who got traded last second in spring training. He didn't really have, you know, a lot of time to, to get his act together. And Hey, right now, He's the number three starter who's five and four in our rotation in ERA under four. And I expect a much better second half out of him. Um, so, Hey, this is a guy who's going to contribute to our success. And if they make the playoffs, he's going to be the game three starter, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, Hey, that's a, that is a very, very encouraging thing. Cause we remember what the hell happened the last time the Mets made the playoffs and, and we had our big top three, of uh, Harvey, Syndergaard, and DeGrom. Uh, at that, the Mets rode that threesome all the way to the World Series. And, hey, I mean, you can make the argument that Scherzer, DeGrom, and Bassett is even better than the three that I just mentioned before. So, um, I mean, you, you got to tip your cap to, to the Mets for, to, for getting this together. Billy Epler, man, the mad scientist, bringing all these guys together. And uh, it's, it's all working out pretty good so far. It's all thank And so far, thank you, Billy. Hashtag thank you, Billy. <laughs> so, and, you know, with that, let's move on from the Mets as we're starting to run down here now as the, uh, well, let's just talk about the Yankees for a minute real quick as, um, you know, this team just continues to freaking roll. They are uh, just incredible with the amount of, um, you know, of success that this team has already had this year. They are 45 and 16. They're taking on the 35 and 26 Tampa Bay Rays tonight. They're sending Nestor Cortez to the mound, who has just been incredible. He's five and two with a one nine, six ERA. So they're getting a lot at a nasty Nestor so far, um, you know, and they're going against Shane McClanahan tonight. So two big lefties, two really tough lefties to face too, going at it. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on, uh, on this, Dan? Um, you know, me and you've been talking about for a while now how the Yankees um, have been doing a really good job of beating up the lower teams the, or the second division teams, um, and th th their competition is starting to level up now. And you know what? I, in, in all credit to the Yankees, they've gone out there and uh, they've uh, – you know, they whooped the crap out of Minnesota last week. Uh, they, they ended up taking two out of three, but it looked more lopsided than that. 
and, and Minnesota is a pretty good team. Now they're about to uh, try and take the series tonight from Tampa Bay. Uh, obviously, they had the absolute destruction of the Chicago Cubs mixed in before there, and, and the Cubs are not a good team. But, um, man, they got this, and then they have more games. That, after this three-game set against Tampa Bay, they have three in Toronto, three in Tampa Bay, and then come back for four against Houston. So the the competition level is really going to be there for the next 10 days or so. Um, what do you think, Dan? Do you think the Yankees are up to the task? Or do you think this is where they come back down to earth a little bit? I think the biggest competition they have is going to be with Houston. All right. Even Minnesota, I could, I kind of wasn't so really expecting them to really hang with the Yankees. I mean, just <laughs> if we get at how often, how, I mean, how often could you see one team lose to the same team in the playoffs almost every time? Yeah. Yeah, you can talk about all the times the Yankees kicked the crap out of them in the first round. Uh, you know, the, if it wasn't for the Yankees, the Twins might have a couple of championships on their wall over the last few years, as it seems like every time they turn around, they're getting KO'd in the first round by New York. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I hear I'm from all, every Twins fan I know. <laughs> yeah, you know, so hey, and you can't blame them. They've been tortured by the Yankees for seemingly the last 20 years. So, um, you know, any, anytime they have success, they have to go through the Yankees. And so far, they haven't been able to do that. Um, you know, one other thing with the Yankees, too, is that right now, as good as they've been, and the Yankees have been fantastic, I mean, by far the best team in baseball, uh, you got to look, like, the the Toronto Blue Jays, the second-place uh, team in that division, they're 11 games over five hundred. They're, they're a pretty good team, and they look like they're going to be in the playoffs this year. Um, they're, they're nine games behind the Yankees. That's how far out ahead the Yankees are right now. Um, I, I just don't see this Yankee team slowing up. Uh, it, it reminds me a lot of that 98 team, and I know that's crazy to say, but it really does just have that feel to me. And I think one of the guys that – adds a little bit of that grittiness to it is um you know what's his name uh josh donaldson josh donaldson and i know he hasn't he, he was suspended he was hurt he's he's back now he he hasn't been the mvp type caliber player that he was in toronto and um you know oakland where he was before that you know so but one thing i will say is i think he's added an element of grittiness to this yankee team they didn't have and they, they got a gamer in there. He's a great defensive third baseman. Um, he's a unifying force in the clubhouse usually. Um, and I, I think Josh Donaldson has had a major impact on this Yankee team. It, and to go back to 98, it kind of reminds me of when the Yankees picked up another former Oakland A third baseman, Scott Brocious. And I know Brocious did not have anywhere near the resume that um, – Donaldson has right now, uh, but you got to remember who who was the World Series MVP in 1998, Dan. Do you remember? Scott Brocious. Scott Brocious. There we go. And this is a guy who the year before had a terrible year in 1997 for the uh, for the Oakland A's, and he comes to New York. He hits 300 his first year, 18 home runs and 100 RBIs. Now 
Scott Brosh is probably uh, Scott Bro. Now, Josh Donaldson probably isn't going to have that type of season. But if the Yankees go on to win the World Series and he's World Series MVP, I don't think they're going to give a crap what happened to him in the regular season, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and we all know that you love imagining the Yankees winning the World Series, right, Dan? Pretty cool to that one. <laughs> As I say that very, very sarcastically, because, uh, you know, me and you, unfortunately, in our lifetimes, have had to sit back and watch quite a few Yankee World Championships. So it, it would be nice if our orange and boy, you know, our, our orange and blue boys can can pull off putting up a ring themselves today. Right. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we uh, but, you know, I, I always have to, especially with the way the Yankees are, are, are playing this year and Aaron Judge and, um, you know, all the, all these guys on the team. I mean, when you really think about it, everybody from, um, you know, DJ LeMayhew, he's only hitting 262. But he's still leading things off and getting things started over there. Aaron Judge having a great year. Rizzo has had his moments. He's been inconsistent, hitting around 220. But his he's picked his moments and made them big. Um, Giancarlo Stanton, like I said, Donaldson. Uh, Glaber Torres has even picked it up. And you know, one guy who I think has not gotten enough compliments this year is uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa the shortstop they acquired from the Minnesota Twins, actually, oddly enough, along with Josh Donaldson. Uh, he's, he's played a great year. He's played great defense. He's hitting 270. Um, he's not really shown a lot of pop, but I think Kiner Falif is a pretty decent player, Dan, and he reminds me of a 98 Yankee-type player, too. What do you think about that? Yeah, kind of kind of like that. Yeah, he's he's got that, that feel to me. I mean, uh, not a superstar, but a good player and a good role player on a good team. Um, so, okay. And, and, and with that, you know, I, I want to move along. I'll, you know, we'll close up with the, uh, with the NBA finals as, um, you know, we have right now the, uh, um, the NBA finals are three, two in favor of the, uh, the gold state warriors, uh, Dan, you know, coming into this series, who did you pick? Did, did you think the Celtics were going to knock off the warriors coming in? I just had a feeling at this, at the set that the Celtics and a lot of my friends in Boston are, were probably loved this that I said this, but they just looked like they were riding a lot of high momentum going into the series. They did, and it looked like it was really going to be a revenge tour for the Celtics, as the Celtics had knocked off a bunch of the teams that had tormented them the, the last couple of years. So they knocked the Knicks off. Uh, not the Knicks, I'm sorry. They, they knocked off the Brooklyn Nets. They knocked off um, the Milwaukee Bucks. And it just looked like everything was kind of breaking their way. You know, Jason Tatum had been playing out of his mind. And, uh, you know, the, the Celtics as a team just really, really rolling. Um, hasn't been that case the last couple of games as, uh, you know, we have, uh, you know, like I said, 3-2 right now. Coming off the, the last game um, was a uh, 120 to 110 victory. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the, uh, the wrong thing. It, it was a, it was a 104 to 94 victory over the, um, uh, the Boston Celtics. So they took control of that, of that series uh, going forward. Dan, do you think that the Celtics have it in them to do what the Rangers couldn't unfortunately and take game six and seven? 
or do you think that it looks like the the Warriors are probably going to be hanging up another banner? I don't know. This is the way that the Warriors have been playing. They're just playing like on another whole stratosphere. Yeah, it's true. It's definitely true, man. Other banner and uh, all of you in San Francisco, you'll be probably all of you in the Bay Area will probably be attending a parade in whatever whatever they call your version of the Canyon of Heroes route. They use here. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know if they have a name for it out there where you guys are, but in New York, that the route that all those parades go on is the called the Canyon of Heroes. The Canyon of Heroes. Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, obviously we've seen. The uh, Patriots do their uh, their whole river thing up there, whatever it is on the water, um, and uh, I'm not not really sure. What's that, Dan? Thing is that Tampa Bay does the water thing, not New England. Yeah, but didn't New England have something with the water too? It was something like that because I remember I, the Red Sox doing it too when they won. I don't recall a parade in the water using boats. I think they. I only recall Tampa Bay. Maybe I'm wrong. I gotta. I gotta ask some some of my some of my Boston peeps about that. Yeah, me and you—that's eh, what you get. Two New York guys. Uh, you know, when when Boston teams win, we kind of try to tune it out a little bit. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I I seem to remember that, but I, I definitely could be wrong. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. But for some reason, I I remember that because I, I I remember um the, I remember the Red Sox and Patriots doing it. But who knows? I, I could very I could very well be wrong. But um, you know. With that, everybody, I think uh, we're going to be wrapping it up here as uh, – oh, well, actually, one last thing. So I, I just want to get your your final prediction. Do you think Golden State hangs on or do you think uh, the uh, Celtics uh, pulled off? I'm going to predict that Gold, Golden State hangs on to win this one. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm with you. I, I think that Golden State team is just too talented. And it's crazy that, that they're too talented even without Kevin Durant, <laughs> who – I'm sure he's a little upset about his decision to go to Brooklyn, right? <laughs> yeah. So, all right. And, uh, you know, with that, everybody, I want to thank everybody for, for tuning in once again to Best Seat in the House podcast. Uh, another great episode with my great co-host, Daniel Bobo Curlin here. Dan, before we get out of here, g- give yourself one last plug. Sure. You can find me on my Twitter page at Bobo103NYC. And on Instagram, Bobo718DK and Daniel Curlin on YouTube. All right, perfect, man. And, uh, you know, same thing for me. You can check me out, my personal Twitter account, at KramerNY. You can check out our show at BSith underscore podcast. Or you can check us out on Instagram at Best Seat in the House podcast. So once again, want to thank everybody for tuning in, all of our loyal viewers and listeners and everything. Uh, we're, we're, we've been having a snafu, you know, like a snafu on the, the audio feed of uh, our podcast. I'm hoping to have it resolved by, by this weekend. But uh, if not, just check out our YouTube. It always goes up on YouTube as scheduled every Thursday uh, at around 9 or 10 a.m. in the morning. So it, it should be definitely out tomorrow morning. Uh, keep an eye out on Apple and, uh, and Spotify for the, for, for the audio version of the podcast. But um, I'm just trying to figure that out and, and hopefully should have it resolved in a couple of days. So thank you for staying with us. Thank you for all the support. And uh, we'll catch you next week on the Best Seat in the House podcast. <laughs>